this is John Finnamore's Souvenir Programme. James, this is Maddie. Oh, hi, Maddie. James. Oh, nice to meet you. You two? I, oh, oh, we're doing two. Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> no, no, I was just, I didn't, you know, fully commit. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I never know whether to. No, is it one or two? Or uh, no. And uh, this is Claire. Oh, sorry, Claire. James? <laughs> Good to meet you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're just doing one. Oh, well, I just thought after... Uh, no, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, but we can do two. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got you on the glasses, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought we were doing one. Mm, yeah. People of Britain, for God's sake, let's just decide. <laughs> We have it in our power never to have this boring yet awkward conversation ever again. We've been kissing hello in this country for at least 20 years. Let's pick a team. Once or twice, it doesn't matter. They'll both work equally well so long as we all agree. No, do you know what? That attitude is going to get us nowhere. Someone has to decide. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now. Uh, twice. Yeah, why not? Kissing's nice, let's do it twice. Oh, oh, there you go, that's a mnemonic. Kissing is nice, let's do it twice. <laughs> Let that be our slogan, people of Britain, and that way no one need ever slog through this conversation, which is, by the way, still going on. In, in parts of France, I think they do it three times. Or oh, four. Yeah, yeah, the Italians do four. <laughs> ever again. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's CB30WA. Thank you. And now your telephone number, please. Uh, sure, it's uh, O. Yep. Seven. Yep. Seven. Yep. One three eight nine eight four one. Sorry. Hmm? I, I didn't get that. Oh, OK. It's O. No, just a fast bit. What? I've got O77. Then what? Oh, uh, I. Sorry, I, I don't remember it like that. Um, hang on. Uh, seven, seven. One four eight nine eight four one. <laughs> one four eight. One four eight nine eight four one. Nine eight four one. One four eight nine eight four one. Right. Okay. Thanks. So. Five. Hmm? <laughs> Sorry. Five. What? At the end of the. At the end of a number. Yes. Five. Right. So it's oh seven seven one four eight nine eight four one five. No, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> doesn't it? No. You see, I say it. Oh. Yes, but seven. <laughs> I know, but... Seven. Okay, yep. One, three, nine, eight, one. Five. I know. Five. <laughs> yes, that's what I've got. Um, it's quite an unusual rhythm you've got there. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, well, most people do five, three, three. Some people do three, four, four. I've never heard anyone do one, 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 seven, one. <laughs> well, it's just easier to remember that way, obviously. Why? Well, you know, it's all prime numbers. Numbers. Yeah. You know, apart from the O, of course, but other than that, I just break it up into prime numbers. Seven, seven, one million four hundred and eighty-nine thousand eight hundred and forty-one. <laughs> five. Okay. Well, um, I've just remembered, ideally, my supervisor wants me to spend no more than 90 seconds on each call, so uh, let's move on. Yeah, sure. So, next, if you could give me... Oh. Yeah. If you could give me the long number on the front of the card. I like this. One. Then we are agreed. We are. The time has come. We must take action. For too long, this regrettable state of affairs has been allowed to continue.
continue. It can no longer be tolerated. And we have plans. Oh, yes, plans that will change everything. And soon we will announce them to the world. Okay, read that back, Stuart. The time has come for us to take action. For too long, this regrettable state of affairs has been allowed to continue, but it can no longer be tolerated. We have plans that will change everything, and soon we will announce them to the world. Excellent! Write that up as a press release and send it out. The press conference is on the 23rd. Will do. Oh, and um, when it comes to the press conference, um, maybe I should do the talking? You? Why, you? No offence, but you are quite a junior member of our organisation. Yeah, I know. I just somehow wonder if it would sound better coming from me. I don't see why. Well, I don't know. Uh, just maybe something about the tone of my voice or... Oh, perhaps he has a point, Claire. Perhaps a useful figure on the podium would be... Mm, I don't know. Don't take this the wrong way, Stuart, but your voice is just a tiny bit... Nasal? Mm. <laughs> yeah. And besides, I do think an initiative as important as this really does need to be announced by a senior executive for Save the Children. <laughs> Agreed! And so, when the world's press are assembled, it is I, myself, who will inform them of our demands for cleaner water sources. <laughs> Someone just sent me a video. It's a little kitten surprised at her reflection. Is he? Oh, yes. <laughs> Bless his cotton socks. <laughs> Happy anniversary, darling. Happy anniversary. Here's your present. No, no, open yours first. Oh, no, you always make me yeah, go, go first. go on. <sighs> All right, then. So, it's very well wrapped. Well, looks quite antique uh, honey. We did say we weren't going to too much trouble this year. I know, I know. So, what do we have here? Uh, some kind of antique, what, bowl, is it? Or, or cup? Look closer. Oh. Is it... Is this... The Holy Grail. Yes! Wow. Wow. Happy anniversary, Indiana. Thank you. I, it's, yeah, you shouldn't have, really. Well, you mentioned wanting one. Did I? Where did you even find it? Oh, well, you remember in May I had to go to that conference in Istanbul? Uh-huh. Well, on the way back, I made a little detour to the catacombs of the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword. <laughs> and there were some puzzles and traps and Nazis and things. But, long story short, happy anniversary! <laughs> oh, thank you. It's, it's just what I wanted. Oh, you're welcome. So, is this mine? I really do wish I'd gone first. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, I'm sure... Oh. Is that what I think it is? I'm afraid it might be. An ironing board cover? <laughs> yeah, because uh, our one got that burn mark on it. You have chosen poorly. 
don't know. I just worry it won't be as safe as if I were driving. Madam, I assure you, self-driving car technology is now so advanced. It's vastly superior to any human driver. You and your family will never have been safer on the road. Well, that might be true for driving skills, but what about decision-making? I mean, what if there was a situation where it could only avoid a fatal crash by, you know, ploughing into a bus queue? Would it do it? Well, that actually depends on how many people were in the queue. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. This is very advanced technology. It will instantly calculate whether there are more lives at risk in the car or in the queue and act accordingly. Well, that's exactly what I'm afraid of, you see. I want it to, you know, just hit the queue. <laughs> I see. I mean, I suppose that makes me a horrible person, does it? No, no. <laughs> Uh, but, in that case, you might be interested in our, um, optional extras. Yes? Yeah. For £20,000, for instance, we can adjust the car's ethics programme. <laughs> Weighting your family's ethical value at double the reality. So, a car containing a family of four would plough into a queue of seven. Seven's not many. Mm. Or, for £100,000, we can set it to be functionally limitless. The car would equate your family's value to the population of a small town. <laughs> Practically speaking, that's going to protect you from pretty much anything you'll meet on the road. Not anything full stop. Ah, well, if um, money really is no object, for £500,000, the car will simply set the lives of you and your family at higher value than any and all other life on the planet. <laughs> David Attenborough could be driving the last two snow leopards in existence <laughs> to deliver their cure for mortality to the World Health Organization, and this car would happily run it off the road into a koala orphanage. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't even have to be endangering your life, just getting in your way. <laughs> what I'm after. I'll take it. <laughs> Excellent choice. But what happens if two cars with that setting meet? They fight to the death. <laughs> so something happened to me the other day that I couldn't find a way of turning into a sketch. So I thought I would just tell you about it. I had been abroad and I came home with a few Norwegian kroner left over and I looked up how much they were worth and it was nearly 20 quid. Uh, but it took me a couple of weeks to get round to exchanging it. And then, when I did, the cashier gave me back £21.60. And I told her I was surprised, and she said, well, when did you look it up? And I said, a couple of weeks ago. And she said, well, there you are. The pound fell sharply last week. And then she said, you did well to wait. <laughs> and I felt so proud. <laughs> I did well to wait. For once, it wasn't procrastination and inefficiency after all. It was a rather canny piece of financial strategy. <laughs> I did well to wait. The lady said so. As if I said to myself, don't rush this, Finnamore. Something tells me if you play your cards right, there could be upwards of £1.60's worth of profit in this. <laughs> so I was on the way home, flushed with my success. I started thinking, well, next time I go abroad, if this happens, I should remember to do this again. Or actually, hang on, I don't even need to wait until I've been abroad. I mean, theoretically, surely even just now I could have said to the nice lady, well, what else have you got? And then bought that, and then gone back the next week, and then done that over and over. I think I may have invented an entirely new way of making money. <laughs> Bear in mind, there was absolutely no self-awareness about this. I was 
thinking this out to myself, slowly and painfully, big frown on my little earnest face, to the point that I even thought, ah, well, there must be some reason it wouldn't work, or surely someone would be doing it already. <laughs> I thought to myself as I walked past the London Stock Exchange. <laughs> anyway, when I was writing this show, I remembered about this and I thought, oh, well, there could be a sketch in it. But when I tried to write it, I couldn't find one. The things that made it funny were all about what was going on in my head. And also, it seemed like it was only really funny if you knew that it genuinely happened to me. Well, I mean, more or less. Obviously, I wasn't really walking past the London Stock Exchange, but the essentials were true. And then I had an idea. What if I did a sort of not sketch where I simply told the audience directly about <laughs> the funny thing that happened to me. So I would just stand there in front of an audience telling them something that had happened, <laughs> exaggerating it in places and saying why I found it funny. I mean, it's risky. <laughs> I thought to myself, again, with absolutely no self-awareness whatsoever. <laughs> it's a pretty revolutionary idea, but if it did catch on, well, I might just have invented an entirely new way of doing comedy. <laughs> I thought to myself as I walked past the comedy store. Um, Eddie. Hi, Stu. All set, are we? You got those uh, spare muskets out of the Toyota, all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got all our muskets. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure, but I asked if you've got the spare muskets. Yeah, yeah, we've got them. That's what I meant. No, that's not what you said, though, is it? Uh, Still, good, good. Going to be a big show tomorrow. Don't want any snags. No. Well. Oh, Christmas. What is it? Uh, it's Ray Oswald. Of course it is. Well, of course, of course it's Ray Oswald. What's he done now? Right. You know he's doing Duke of Wellington. Yes, of course I know that. Outgoing president always enacts Wellington. It's in the book. Yeah, no, I know. Only, well, there was a bit of a mix-up, and the thing is, well... He thought he was doing Napoleon. What? No, I'm Napoleon. The sitting president of the society always enacts Napoleon. Yep, I know, I yeah, know. That's also in the book. It's on the same page. Why would he think I wouldn't be Napoleon? Well, he thought you'd, um... Well, he thought you said you were too, um... Too what? Short. Short? Well, it was just a misunderstanding. He thought I was too short for Napoleon? <laughs> well, you know, only because of that lecture you gave explaining how Napoleon probably wasn't as short as history says. You know, that... He was probably kind of average height, and obviously you're, you're not, um... Well, anyway, point is, like I say, I'll, I'll put him straight. Good. And he is totally fine with you being the Pope. Well, I should hope so. So what's the problem? Well, he hasn't brought his Wellington kit. He's brought his Napoleon kit. Christmas bells. Well, what are we going to do? We can't do Waterloo without Wellington. Well, I had two thoughts. One was, can we sort of just zhuzh up the Earl of Uxbridge? <laughs> You. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, I should think so. Zhuzh up. This is historical reenactment, Stuart. Not Andram. Oh, no, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good. Well, what's your second idea? Well, we do have a Hitler. <laughs> a Hitler? Yeah, yeah. The boys in Unit B are doing the fall of Berlin tomorrow, and, well, Paul Crawford's got his Hitler kit in his car. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart, I am not having the Battle of Waterloo won by Hitler. No, no, but... I'll... No, no, there's no buts. I'm not having the British Army led to arguably the greatest triumph of their long and proud history by Adolf Hitler. No, but uh, they wouldn't have to be British 
All the B unit lads have got their German kit with them. Oh! Oh, right, great! So you're suggesting in our living history lesson we present to the public tomorrow, Napoleon's army is beaten by the Nazis! <laughs> well, or the other way round. What? Yeah. I mean, I'll take your point. We can't have Hitler win, sends the wrong message. But if we present it as a what if, he could lose Eddie to Napoleon. <laughs> as played by you. Well, it's a thought, I suppose. <laughs> So what we do, we do the battle like normal, but with the Nazis losing and then the ceremony of surrender, only, you know, with Napoleon... Triumphant. Yeah. Maybe even making a little speech. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he probably would have done, wouldn't oh, he? yeah, 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 he would have done. Historically, I mean, had it worked out that way, yeah. he, would have, uh, he would have said a few words. Yeah. Yeah. Pointing out some of Hitler's failings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, go on then. Tell the lads informally, I'll give them a proper briefing at line-up. Right, you are ready. Oh, one thing, though. I don't want Paul Crawford as Hitler. Tell Ray Oswald to do it. <laughs> and also, Allosaurus was the cleverest because they did ambushes, which the other dinosaurs didn't. All and... right, well, that'll do, I think, kids. Go and get ready for bed. I'll be up in ten minutes. Oh, uh, no, come on, don't spoil it. You've been really good. Say goodnight to Ian. Good night. Good night. Nice to meet you all. Go on, then. Pop it. <laughs> oh, they are great kids. Oh, thank you. They have their moments. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Josh. I think he's the best one. <laughs> Right, yeah, well, he's, he's very outgoing, so people tend to notice him. Oh, no, I did notice the others, too. I just think Josh is better. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that's something... I'm only comparing them to each other. Mm. I wouldn't compare them to anyone else's kids, that would be rude. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that out of your three, all of which you did, Josh is your best. That's no, really I mean, I'm praising him. I'm saying he's the best. Mm. I deliberately not said which one's the worst. Good. Even though it's pretty obvious. No. <laughs> I'm just saying Josh is your best kid. That's all. I don't see why you should object to me pointing that out. One of the, yeah. You know, there's more than one of them, so one of them's got to be the best. Ian, will you please just let us get a word in edgeways? Yes. We know one of them's got to be the best. Yes, but it's not Josh, it's Katie. <laughs> Katie? Oh, by a mile! No, 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 you've just fallen for the dinosaur routine. I mean, it's fine as far as it goes, but it gets old pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's all he's got. Get mm. him off dinosaurs, he is lost. Whereas Katie, <laughs> Katie's got breadth as well as depth. Mm. And she's nicer, too. She's <laughs> nicer, yeah. She even bothers to play with Daniel, who, you're quite right, is obviously... The worst! worst. <laughs> Daddy, are you coming to read us a story? Oh, hello, Dan. Uh, how long have you been there? Quite a long time. <laughs> well, uh, look, we're sorry. It's OK, but I'm afraid this does mean you both slipped down a couple of spaces on the grown-ups chart. Dad, you're now worse than Grandma. Oh, come on! <laughs> Since you ask me who the devil I am and what am I doing in your house, <laughs> I do have one curious tale you may find intriguing. Though I must warn you, it will do nothing to answer either of your questions. <laughs> Some fellows and I had got to talking about the club's resident eccentrics. Henderson mentioned Lord Totteridge, who has built himself a vast network of underground tunnels which he uses to travel about London on trains. 
I nominated old Nettleship, who once bet 5,000 guineas that he would lose that very bet. <laughs> Which, of course, he lost. And so won. And so lost. And so won. And so on. Well, but for sheer mysterious eccentricity... Piped-up calendar? You can't beat young Parker. We all at once saw the truth of this. Parker was a strange fellow indeed. He only came to the club once a month, on which occasion he would go straight to his room, where he would remain for three days, during which time not a soul would either enter or leave, or both, or neither. <laughs> no, wait, neither. Neither is what happened. I say, though... Said calendar now... Surely old Potter must be able to tell us something. Potter was the club's porter, and we summoned him over. Now, what do you know of Parker, Potter? Parker, sir? Yes, Potter, Parker. Come on, you must know Parker, Potter, you're the porter. <laughs> yes, sir, but there are two gentlemen of that name in the club. Do you mean the sadly deranged Mr Patrick Parker, sir, or his son Peter? Peter? We mean Peter Parker, Potter, not his potty pater Pat. <laughs> well, this went on for some time. Quite possibly too long. But eventually we got him to understand and asked him what went on during Parker's lonely vigil. I don't know what Mr Parker gets up to in there, sirs, but two things I will tell you. The only food served to him is one raw beef steak, which he has placed in his room before he arrives. Secondly, he always goes in the day before the new moon and leaves the day after. Far from explaining the mystery, these new facts simply baffled us yet further. None of us could make head nor tail of them. Which is odd now I come to tell this, because it's blindingly obvious he was some sort of werewolf. <laughs> if only we could somehow trick him into mistaking the night of the full moon, perhaps we could learn something. Amused calendar. <laughs> yes, but that's impossible, said I. I think you forget who you're talking to. <laughs> Laughed calendar. Of course, calendar was the direct descendant of Sir Oswald Calendar, the inventor of the calendar. <laughs> and he now held the controlling interest in the family firm. Calendars, calendars. You mean you could tamper with the date? Nothing easier. Mind you, we may have to play the long game. What, golf? <laughs> Good God, no. I, I simply mean I shall have to wait for next year's calendars to go to press. But then I can easily put, say, March's full moon back by a day. Wouldn't there be the most awful row about it? Oh, I shouldn't think so. I don't suppose anyone else will even notice. <laughs> <laughs> Though, funnily enough, it turned out he was quite wrong about this, and the prank led directly to 14 shipwrecks. <laughs> Be that as it may, next March, we gathered again at the club on the day of the full moon, or, as Parker and the rest of the world thought, the day before it. Sure enough, Parker arrived and retired to his room. With bated breath, we waited for the moon to rise. At the moment it cleared the horizon, there arose from upstairs a terrible noise. You might call it a scream, but it was like no human scream I had ever heard. And the only screams I've ever heard have all been human. Except this one, as it turned out. But I didn't know that then. Basically what I'm saying is, it was a weird noise. <laughs> so, alone, I mounted the stairs, found Parker's room, and knocked hesitantly. Hey, it is I, Finnamore. Is everything all right in there? What? Uh, yes, all's very well in here. Jolly good. Couldn't be better. Only we heard a noise. Did you? No, don't think so. Everything's fine, and no one's turned into anything unexpectedly early. Not all at all. Very well, I shall leave you. In no, wait. Don't go, Finnamore. Can I trust you? I admit I was a little hurt. Was I not a gentleman? True, his predicament was entirely my fault. <laughs> But on the other hand, he didn't know that. I hope so, said I, stiffly. Very well. 
then be a good chap and break down the door. You see, the fact of the matter is, I'm stuck in the bath. Whatever I had expected to hear, werewolf, it was not this. But I set to work. It was no small task. The door was of goodly oak and opened outwards. Luckily, it was unlocked, so I went in and broke it down from the inside, which was much, much easier. I went in. The first thing I noticed was that the room seemed full of buzzing flies. The reason was not hard to trace. A putrid beefsteak lay rotting on the table. I went into the bathroom, but the bath was empty. The bath, I said, is empty. Look closer, said Parker from somewhere. I did as I was bade. No, really, said I, there's nothing here, except for a large spider scuttling around, waving at me, pointing at itself. Hello! Oh, good God! <laughs> well, I rescued my friend with the aid of a beaker and a leaflet from a pizzeria. <laughs> and within ten minutes, we were gathered around his fire, me in the easy chair, he dangling from the mantelpiece. I suppose I owe you an explanation. Tell me, Fillmore, do you know what an arachnothrope is? I think so, said I. Someone with an irrational hatred of historical inaccuracies. <laughs> no, Finnamore, that's an anacrophobe. Ah, and are you one of those two? Oh, not at all, said he, gesturing towards the pizza leaflet. But... <laughs> but I am an arachnothrope. It's a long and complicated story. When I was a boy, I was bitten by a spider. And now, every full moon, I turn into one. It doesn't seem that long uncomplicated. I bowled it down. So you're a, a were-spider? Oh, if you like, I prefer to call myself the Amazing Spider Gentleman. <laughs> and do you fight crime? Do I what? <laughs> do you fight crime? Do I fight crime when I'm a spider? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, just listen to the question. I, <laughs> of course I don't fight crime. I don't even particularly fight crime when I'm a human. Why on earth would I do so as a spider? Uh, I don't know. I just thought perhaps, you know, it would make you able to swing through the town on your, you know, webs. Have you ever seen a spider? Yes. Swinging through town on its webs? No, but, but still, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. No doubt. But with turning into a spider, once a month comes hiding in a room. <laughs> I simply order a beef stick to ensure a good supply of flies and lock myself away until the fit has passed. What went wrong tonight, I'll never know. But I can rely on you to keep my secret, can't I, Finnamore? Of course you can, said I warmly. Or oh, I should have said at the start, keep all this to yourself. <laughs> and in return, I continued, will you promise me that if you do see any crime, you'll at least try to fight it? I don't understand this strange obsession, Finnamore. <laughs> but I'll promise you this. I'll do whatever a spider can. I really see Peter Parker now. I believe he moved to New York, but still, at the close of each year, I receive, in token of my faithful keeping of his secret, so far as he knows, a little Christmas gift, a fine silk handkerchief. And it comes, of course, from Macy's. Why, what were you thinking? Good night. John Finnamore's Souvenir Programme was written and performed by John Finnamore with Margaret Cable Smith, Simon Kane, Laurie Lewin and Carrie Quinlan. The producer was Ed Morrish and it was a BBC Studios production. And remember, we're all doing two kisses now, OK? It's been decided. Kissing is nice. Let's do it twice. Spread the word. <laughs> <laughs>